So we are continuing on for the month of August in Mark's Gospel. Welcome to those who are watching uh, or listening on the podcast or online. And um, I I got an email yesterday uh, from uh, a group of people who I've uh, heard from um, a number of months back, even probably over a year ago, a little church called, I hope I get this right, but Moora or Mora, probably Moora Uniting Church in central Queensland, who actually uh, listen to our messages every week. Um, and that's, they don't have a pastor. They're a little church in country Queensland. So welcome to all of you. Maybe we can meet you somehow one day. Um, so Cam's going to read the Bible reading for us, um, and we'll, then we'll go from there. Cool. So reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 38. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought the, a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your own cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this privilege to share your word this morning. We come before you this morning and to the scriptures with an appreciation of how you have revealed yourself to us in the Bible. 
Lord, we know that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's able to correct us, to guide us, to encourage us, to, to help us to know which direction in which we need to step. And so we ask that as we read these words this morning, as we, re- sorry, as we reflect on what we have just read, Lord, that that would be so much more than just words on a page, so much more than just history recorded, but would be alive and fresh to us right now. We thank you for the privilege that it is to have uh, the living word of God available, readily available to us. Lord, may you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through it right now in this time that we have together. Renew our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, having read today's passage, sorry, I'm a bit high there. This thing keeps falling down. Having read today's passage, uh, the end of Mark chapter 8, let me remind you of, of how far we have come this year. Today, we are officially halfway through the book of Mark that we started uh, in February this year in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and it actually means that we're on track to finish by the end of this year. We did start a little bit slowly and then we had some, we jumped forward over Easter, but we're actually on track uh, to finish at the end of the year. There's 16 chapters. If you've only just joined us today uh, or in recent weeks at the Billabong, we're studying the book of Mark this year because it's the most compact to-the-point account of Jesus' life and showing us what he's really about. Because as followers of Jesus, we want to be like him. We want to follow in his footsteps. And the way we express what we're here to do now, our mission is to live and love like Jesus. And so what better way to, to explore how to do that than to look at the life of Jesus uh, in a, in a to-the-point kind of way. The reason that today's passage, I believe, is so significant in the scheme of this this whole journey through Mark's gospel, is that uh, one sentence in today's reading is actually the turning point of the whole book. It's like the key line in the whole account of Mark's gospel. And, um, And the passage as a whole that we've just read is really, it really contains the key message of the whole book of Mark. Now this this picture map, which it's probably hard for you to see, uh, from wherever you are, really, but we, this is kind of a map of where we are, and we're right here now. We're right in the middle, and uh, um, Aaron finished us off in this first section last week, which is chapter 1 through to the beginning of chapter 8, uh, and this asks the question where we've been so far of who is Jesus? The answer to which is he is the Messiah. He's the, the sent one, the anointed one, the Christ. So this has been all about who is Jesus, who is Jesus. We've seen the things he's done and what he's all about. And then it moves in the latter section to how Jesus becomes king. In other words, what kind of Messiah is he? Okay, now we've been discovering who he is, but how is he living out that call of the Messiah, the sent one of God? But in this middle part now, this is a, it's a transition from who is Jesus, he's the Messiah, to what kind of Messiah will he be, how will he become king, and that transition from one part to the other is in this middle section over the next few weeks, and especially today. What does it really mean that he is the Messiah, and how, is, how are we going to see that play out? So there's two questions that we're going to be asking uh, today especially, but really for a couple of weeks. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because this has all been about who is he? And what does it mean to follow him? 
Because if he's living out his messiahship, I don't know if that's a word, in a certain way, well, what does it mean for us to follow in his footsteps? Who do you say Jesus is? What does it mean to follow him? We, we can make a lot of assumptions about what it means to follow him, but what, what does the Gospel of Mark, the most to the point, this is who Jesus is, this is what he was about, what does it say? The lead-in to the key line in the story, which we'll come to in a minute, the lead-in was a story about a blind man. Now, we didn't just include it because we couldn't skip over it. The story about the blind man is here in the story for a very specific purpose, not just thrown in because Mark needed a story about a blind healing as well as a deaf healing like we've already had. Jesus has said to his disciples um, recently um, what, so that, uh, in, sorry, he has just been with his disciples. There's been the, the feeding of the 5,000. There's been the feeding of the 4,000. And during the 4,000, he said to them, don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? We've heard a lot about hard hearts. Then he says this, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? We've seen the healing of a deaf man, but now there is this blind man. And it's a demonstration of what he's doing for his disciples in a spiritual sense. Remember in the story that we've just read, uh, if, if you kind of um, dozed off for a second, basically he goes to this man, he touches his eyes, and at first the man sees a fuzzy vision of things. It's sort of he's partly healed of his blindness. There's these fuzzy figures that look like trees walking around. They're people, but they're fuzzy. And so Jesus then, uh, then prays again and touches him again, and, and he's fully healed of his blindness. And this is sort of like us too. First, when we have our eyes opened to Jesus and who he really is, it's a bit fuzzy at first. We see it, but, but we, and we see him as who he really is in the fullness of Jesus, this wonderful saviour, but it's, it's not, we don't fully take it in yet. But over time, if we let him, Jesus reveals himself to us more fully. Now, the setting of the next story, that was the lead up, the blind man and the healing of him. Then they're in Caesarea Philippi. Now, this just sounds like one of the other places that they've been, all of these kind of names we don't really recognise anymore. But this place is actually one of the most evil places they know. One author writes this, Caesarea Philippi has become a den of idolatry and the grossest kind of immorality. This place, there was the worst kinds of sin that were perpetrated here on a regular basis in honour of the Greek god Pan. There was a cave at the base of a cliff that had spring water flowing out of it and the inhabitants of the city thought this cave was an entrance to the underworld. They believed that their city was literally a portal to the underworld, the gates of Hades or the dead. So Jesus is just chilling with his boys at the portal to the underworld, this place of death, and he says, so who do people say that I am? And in this culture, this thing of identity is who someone is, is far more than just an, a job or this individualistic thing or, I'm, or even just a name. It's an identity in the context of community and in the context of a family. The disciples, they kind of, oh, who, does, who do people say that he is? Oh, well, people have said that he's like, well, maybe one of the prophets come back, John or Elijah, maybe Jeremiah. But Jesus is digging for something specific when he says, who do people say that I am? His identity is tied up in the divine family he's representing on earth. 
And that's what he wants them to see. He's functioning as the head of the Father's household on earth. Nothing less than that. With the Holy Spirit in him. So his identity is tied to the divine nature of God, the family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he asks the question, who do people say that I am? But then he moves and, and, and specifically to his disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? And I can just... You can just, in the context of him healing blindness and talking about blindness, he says, I can just hear him praying, please, Father, may they see it. Please don't let them still be so blind. Please, may they they see it now. And thankfully, Peter sees it. And he says, you are the Messiah. Now, in Mark's gospel, it just says that. In the other accounts, he had the son of the living God. Mark's gospel was focusing more on the Messiah part. But he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I just want to pause for a minute and let us feel the power of that revelation. What is the power of a revelation of who Jesus is to an ordinary human being like you or me or Peter? I've I've come to believe that there is nothing more beautiful and more joy-filled and more transformed Formative, nothing more life-changing than someone having their spiritual eyes opened to who Jesus is and to be able to say, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God, you are the divine one come, who has come to reveal God to us and to me. Because with that revelation, we come to see that God is not distant, he is not uninterested, He has come near to us. He's given up the divine privilege to walk with us, to feel what we feel. And if you've received spiritual eyes to see Jesus as he truly is, the one who is revealing God to you, you know the transforming power of that. Now, maybe you've forgotten over time. Maybe it's once upon a time you went, oh, my gosh, this is... I'm I'm free because I see now who Jesus is for me and for others. Maybe maybe that's kind of drifted, but if you think back to that first time your eyes were opened, you know it has changed your life forever. Peter has received sight, spiritual sight. And in the other accounts of of, of this story, uh, Jesus responds to Peter by saying, Blessed are you, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. He's been given sight to see it. And this changes, and then Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. Um, He basically is bringing Peter, I don't have time to go through it all, but he's bringing Peter into his family now. And this is what a recognition of who Jesus is actually does. It transforms who we are. It's not just, oh, cool, that's who Jesus is. It transforms us too. When we recognize him as our Messiah and our Savior and our Lord, the identity that he has tied up in the God family, because identity is not just an individual thing but a communal thing, the identity he has tied up in the God family means that our identity now changed to be part of that God family too. We don't become divine, but we become children of God. That is what a recognition of Jesus, who Jesus is does in our life. And so we have to let him ask us, and I pray we would let him ask us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? A great inspirational man, uh, an example who we can follow, 
maybe, maybe a, a leader who lived and ministered with the most radical love. That's all true, but if we stop there, it means we are still blind like the man from Bethsaida to who he really is. And, and I'm thankful that what Jesus does is does not just kind of wait until maybe we, by some chance, open up our eyes one day, but he prays for us and touches us that we would see like the blind man. And, and if we just get a glimpse but it's still fuzzy, oh, wow, this Jesus is not who I thought he was, but there is something different that I'm seeing, then he continues to pray for us and he continues to intercede for us until, our, until slowly our eyes are more opened and more opened and we, will, and we see him more fully. And then one day when he returns, we will see him in all his glory when he opens our eyes completely. And let me describe to you what we might see. Now, this is impossible to describe what we might see when we truly see Jesus. So we have to use visuals and metaphors to do it. But here is a vision of Jesus. A man wearing a long robe with gold sash around his chest, his head uh, and his hair white like wool and white as snow, his eyes like flames of fire, his feet like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundering like mighty ocean waves, holding stars in his hand. Just think about that for a second. Do you know what stars are? They're their suns, massive, huge balls of flaming gas, holding stars in his hands with a two-edged sword coming from his mouth, his face like the sun in all its brilliance, and we, like the Apostle John who had this vision I've just described, will fall at his feet. That is a vision of Jesus. Who do we say that he is? I think that this question just, it shapes our whole life. It shapes our eternity and it shapes the eternity of our friends, family and neighbours. Who do we say that Jesus is? From this point in the sermon, I, um, I had originally intended to, to sort of uh, go in a certain direction where I would launch into how our answer to this question, who Jesus is, how it shapes uh, us as a church family and, and, and our direction and our vision and what it means for where we're heading. So, for example, I'll put it on the screen. Uh, if Jesus is truly God's son and representative of the Father, we can we therefore become children of God. And if Jesus is truly the kingdom establishing Messiah, then we are kingdom establishers. And so that is what has shaped our vision which is uh, on the screen. That's how we describe our thriving family of God, children of God, transforming our communities as the kingdom comes. And so who we are and where we're heading, it's shaped by who Jesus is and only by who Jesus is. So that, I kind of plan to spend some time on that today, but I, I had some conversations this week and some, some uh, things in time of reflection that made me stop for a second and ask a different question. What does it mean to follow Jesus before we jump towards a vision of where he will lead us? What does it mean to live and love like Jesus as we talk about now as our mission, what we do? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to live and love like him? And I was sitting in the prayer room and I was was praying with a couple of friends this week and was reminded as this this, uh, chart was up on the wall and I was looking at it, I was reminded what this central portion 
of Mark's gospel is really all about. Yes, it's recognising that he is the Messiah, as Peter did, and who he really is, the King of Kings. Um, And then recognising the kind of king that he would be, the kind of Messiah he would be, uh, one who would would, uh, overcome uh, suffering and death. But what does it therefore mean to follow him? And it's this. It's just written in this little bit here. Following Jesus is like dying. Following Jesus at its core is about giving up one's life, placing it in God's hand, that hands that he may do with it as he desires. Because that's the kind of Messiah that we will find out Jesus was. That's how he became king. One who would overcome through suffering and death. And so Peter, having had spiritual eyes open to see who Jesus really is, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. He then hears Jesus say that he's going to have to suffer and die at the hands of the Romans and the Jews, uh, and that then he would be raised from the dead. And we realize that Peter is like the blind man from Bethsaida. He's actually only had his eyes partly opened to the full reality. You're the Messiah, Jesus. Got that bit. But the Messiah is a victorious king who will overcome our oppressors. So let me put you back on track, Jesus, because clearly you're not thinking straight. You will not die. You will rescue us because you're the Messiah. And I can just imagine the horror for Peter to have his teacher and his mentor turn to him and not say, it's all right, buddy, you might have it a bit wrong. (laughs) Instead, he turns to him and he says, get away from me, Satan, for you are, what, seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And as I read this this week, I just realized, oh, my goodness, this is what I do as well. For a split second, I see Jesus as he truly is, and it transforms me, and I go, oh, my, this is amazing. God, you, you are amazing. Thank you for who you are and how it's transforming me. For a split second, that happens, and then I take control again, and I go, I'm going to make you who, I want you who I want you to be, Jesus. This is how you'll be my saviour, Jesus. This is how things will play out, Jesus. I think I know best again. And then so the Holy Spirit has to constantly bring me back to our death. A death that needs to happen in me again and again and again, a death to self. Sometimes it's the death of my plans. Sometimes it's the death of my desires. The stuff that has become the equivalent of Peter telling Jesus how things would play out. And reading this passage again this week, I just realized that I think it's time for me to take some of my desires and my ways and my plans and lay them at Jesus' feet again and let them die again, not knowing whether they'll ever return. And you know what I keep discovering? Death hurts. Anyone agree? It's painful. It's, it's confusing and it's draining and it's ick and it's not what we were meant for. It's, it's, it's not good. 
But we know that on the other side of death for us as Christians is resurrection. On the other side of death, there is a new and a better life than the old broken one. Jesus said, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. And by the way, in that day, the cross was not a cute thing that you hung around your neck. Think electric chair. Take up your electric chair. What? It's not like, oh, yeah, take up my cross. <laughs> take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What does dying to self look like for you? That's the question I think we have to ask ourselves as Christians. Maybe it's letting a dream die. Not because the dream is bad, but because instead of it being something God is leading to you towards step by step, it's become something that, that you're trying to manufacture in your own strength and take control of. And so maybe handing that back over to God is really letting self-ambition die and let God ambition take its place. Maybe for you it's letting your dependency on things and on money die. And you need to let that die so that God can give you a revelation that he is your provider and he will look after you and not let that just become a cute thing we say in church. Maybe it's hurt or unforgiveness and you need to let that die so God can give you a new heart that's free to trust again so you can feel the joy of that. It could be a dependency, it could be an addiction, it could be a relationship. We must ask the question, what needs to die in your life today? Because until he returns, following Jesus is like dying. Welcome to church. It's not a feel-good message. You know, another biblical metaphor that's very similar to dying and is, is uh, through the scriptures in a number of places is pruning. Having a branch uh, pruned back is like letting a part of the plant die. Now, I bought this palm tree um, a number of weeks back, a couple of months ago, as a symbol of the kingdom of God because the kingdom is like, Jesus says, like a seed that might start really small like a seed but will grow into a large plant, like a mustard seed that's this big growing into a huge tree. And so uh, this is a reminder of that kingdom vision that we're heading towards. Um, so I'm going to mix metaphors a little bit today, but time to time this tree will need to be pruned. Uh, a branch will need to be cut off for the good of the tree. And this is what God does with us. It's, is it fun? Nope. Does it hurt? Yeah, it's like dying. So when this happens, am I doing the right one? Yep, check that first. You know, it's, it's like, ouch! Uh, and, and you want to you kind of keep hold of that, but it needs to happen. Now, what did you notice about uh, this branch that I just pruned? What do you notice about it? It's already dead. Whatever needs to die or be pruned in our life, not that God doesn't sometimes take good things away so something better can replace, but whatever needs to die or be pruned off in our life needs to be removed often because it's our thing. It's not God's thing. And if it's not God's thing, it's already actually dead, even though it may still be connected. 
And while I'm no expert on palm trees, as you can tell, I'm doing my best, I'm pretty sure, I think, from my research on Google, that if you don't prune these back, what's actually going to happen is that it doesn't do the rest of the tree any favours either. The rest of us as a person and as a family even can be perfectly healthy with green leaves, but that one dead bit needs to go or it risks affecting the rest. Similar with organisations, with church denominations as well. Sometimes old stuff needs to die to let new shoots coming through. There may be some stuff for us as a, as a church family even, as the billabong, that, that, to ask what needs to be pruned off, what needs to be let go of to allow for a new green shoot to flourish. Those are hard questions to ask. But it starts with you and I being willing to, to let God prune us as individuals, as followers of Jesus, to take the stuff that is, that is not of his doing out of our hands and out of our heart. Now, there is actually an alternative to the pruning, which is not a bad alternative. If something's dead but it's still hanging on, what we can do is we can just kind of cover it up and um, this could take a while. I'll make sure I don't get the TV. And, and give it a bit of green and, um, and maybe, I'll stop there, otherwise I'm going to faint. <laughs> and then may, maybe it'll, it'll kind of look alive again. If we just kind of jazz it up a little bit, maybe a hair straightener, I mean, to sort of make the leaves a bit straight like that one. I don't know. I mean, we, we can jazz it up. We can, we can, we can kind of pretend but aren't we good at doing that? We're great at pretending, especially in this time, especially in this culture that we live in. We can make a part of us that's dead on the inside look vibrant if we give it enough attention. We can make a part of us that is crippled and, 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 and broken and go, it's okay, it's, it's, it looks fine. That's basically what Instagram is, most of social media. My life looks great, but it's dry and cracked and fragile underneath. Life on our terms, dreams on our terms, relationships on our terms. Jesus says, you know what? It'll kill you. You'll lose your life. But give up your life. Let the stuff that's not of God die. Then you'll be actually truly alive and you'll have new life. Whether you've been following Jesus for a while or you're here just inquiring about who Jesus is today, I pray that what you'll discover is that this new life, this resurrection life that comes from laying down the old you, that comes from laying down and letting self die, that this new life is actually Christ himself. It's not just this sort of new, slightly better version that Jesus gives you. It's Jesus in you, the hope of glory, a transformation that takes place daily because it's no longer just you in you, hi, I'm Luke, but Christ in you because his spirit has joined with your spirit. That's what happens on a deep spiritual and profound level when we give up our own ways, when we say death to self. It doesn't just mean that something else, you're like Christ himself steps in and becomes the life that we live.
to change an identity from the self-made man or the self-made woman to an identity that's now tied up in the family of Jesus. You become a fully adopted son or daughter of the Father. So I want to ask the question, what does death to self look like for you today? What does it look like for your family even? And then maybe we can also be asking bit by bit, what does it look like for this church family? I just want to pray today that Jesus would give us eyes to see who he really is, where we started today, to show us who he really is, give us a revelation of him and his love and his ways, that we would therefore also see in us what is not of him. Lay that down. Let it die so that God can bring new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for how you love us and how you give us a revelation of yourself, not in a way that would just completely destroy us, but in a way that we would recognize where we need to change, recognize what is not of you in our life, so that we would slowly, slowly, slowly be on this journey of sanctification, this journey where we are more and more every day becoming like you and what is not of you would be tossed away like garbage so that one day we would stand in your presence and say, only Jesus, all we need is Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus. Lord, may we more and more each day consider everything else as rubbish, as trash, as dung, in comparison to the joy of knowing you, our Saviour. Lord, may we live for you and only for you, because we recognize that everything else is actually like dead branches and needs to be pruned anyway. It's not doing us any favors. Give us eyes to see, Lord, who you are. So much more than a moral teacher, so much, so much more than an example. Lord, I pray that where there are addictions or dependencies that need to be laid down and it, and it feels like we don't know how to do that, Lord, would you bring both an internal and a spiritual transformation in the hearts of those people among us, but would you also uh, put in place for us the body of Christ supporting us and bringing us closer and closer to the way of Jesus? I pray this in your name, that dependencies and addictions would go in the name of Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that where there are relationships that we don't see that they're holding us back from a relationship with you or they're getting in the way of a relationship with you. Lord, may we have the boldness to let those relationships die, whether or not you choose to revive them at some point for us. Lord, where there is a dream or a plan or a vision or a desire or a way of doing things or a dependency on, on, on money or things, Father, may you give us the courage the boldness to lay those things at your feet, to take up our cross and to follow in your footsteps. And Lord, may you give us the faith to believe that as we do this, that you are bringing your kingdom to earth through us. And finally, Lord, as we, we spend time in, in your presence this morning, we thank you for those of us who are followers of Jesus. We thank you for how you have been transforming our life over a journey, a lifetime of walking with you. For those who are exploring who this Jesus is, I pray, Father, that you would reveal to them, you would give them open eyes to see 
who Jesus is to them, their Lord, their Saviour, and that they would be willing to lay down their lives, their opinions, their, their preferences, and instead take up their cross and walk in the way of Jesus too, that they might find new life, eternal life in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you, whether you're a follower of Jesus and you want to be in community in a smaller setting to, to journey with others to, um, can we have the music team come up, by the way, <laughs> to journey with others to, to, to live in this way of Jesus, or if you 